Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. And another clause, which is clause 14, the Prophet talks about capital punishment. I know this is very sensitive, especially these days. The clause states if a Muslim kills another Muslim without a just cause, unjustfully, and his crime is proven legally, he shall be executed unless the heirs of the murdered person forgive him and they take the diya, the blood money. So we see in the constitution of Medina, there is a reference to capital punishment. These days, Western society is against capital punishment and it's moving towards that. We still have it in a lot of states, but they're moving away from it. A lot of people find this problematic. Yes, brother. So how much the blood money? Is it still 10 camels, the blood money? The blood money for killing a person is uh, 1,000 camels. 1,000 camels. I believe so, is it? Or 100 camels. I'm not sure. It's 100 or 1,000. I think it's Elif Dinar. I'm sorry. I think it's 1,000 dinars or 100 camels. I can double check. Yeah, but it's no, it's a lot more than 10 camels for sure. What's that? So in the clause, it states if a Muslim kills another Muslim without a just cause and his crime is proof, proven legally, he shall be executed. <laughs> Unless the heirs, yeah, the Muslim, if a Muslim. If he kills a non-Muslim, no. There is no capital punishment between a Muslim and a non-Muslim. We can discuss why that is the case. This is now talking about Muslims between themselves. He shall be executed unless the heirs of the murdered person forgive him. And in either case, it is the duty of the Muslims to be united against the murderer. So this is the clause. Now what do we say about capital punishment here? The Quran does recognize capital punishment and it's it makes an important statement. Allah says, you have life through retribution, through this capital punishment or other types of retribution. Today, many, many sociologists, criminologists, they are studying capital punishment. Does it really have that deterrence or no? Does it deter potential murders or no? And the argument, the case that is being made today that no, it does not deter people from killing others. And they will bring you statistics from this state, from that state, and they'll tell you, look, this state which does have capital punishment, we don't really see the murder rate any less than those states which don't, so it's pretty equal. In fact, we don't see any deterrent effect to the capital punishment. But Islam firmly believes in the deterrent effect. Yes? They implement it, yeah, but if so sometimes they don't. The problem with the current system of capital punishment and the reason why it doesn't have that deterrence, that deterrent effect to stop potential criminals is that in Islamic law, capital punishment is swift. If the crime is proven, and remember, the clause states his crime is proven legally. If there is 100% evidence this person has committed the crime, 
it's proven in the court, there are witnesses, that's it, the person is executed. And if it's not proven, there are doubts in the case, we have the Islamic law that states whenever there's a doubt about a case, the, the punishment is not executed, that's it, you know, just leave it until if one day, if, if it's proven then we can go after them. Over here in the West, they keep people for decades on death row sometimes, 20, 30 years. So when a person is about to commit a murder, a crime, they know that immediately they're not going to be killed. Ah, let's see what happens, I might go to jail, they'll give me free meals over there in jail for 20 years, and then maybe the judge is going to pardon me, maybe something else happens, maybe I get a jury that will have mercy on me. You lose the deterrent effect, but if the murderer knows that if you commit the crime, it's not 20 years, no, in two days from now you'll be executed if it's proven. Believe me, that will deter this person a lot more. So the system that we have is a flawed system. Number two, look at the financial burden our prison systems are imposing on people. There are more than two million prisoners in the US. Well, who's paying for these facilities? Who's paying for their food for running those areas and remember there's a lot of high security there so running them is very costly. Is that something really positive? Number three, what do you achieve by incarcerating someone, by putting them in jail? Are they going to become better people? No, in fact they'll come out more being more psycho than they were before, having more psychological issues. You don't refine a person in, in prison and that's why you see the rate of people who are released from prison, going to prison is very high. That in itself is evidence, having them going to prison did not achieve anything. In fact, it made them have you know, more psychological problems and wanting to seek revenge more from society. We also need to consider that. Number four, they tell you, yeah, but capital punishment is cruel. Let's put the biases aside. Which one is more cruel? Taking someone's liberty for 40 years, locking them in a cell. Or if they really deserve the punishment, you administer capital punishment and they move from this stage of this life to the next. Which is worse? Taking someone's liberty is far worse than capital punishment. You know, didn't, uh, what's his name? Give me liberty or give me death. Uh, Patrick Henry. Didn't he say, give me liberty or give me death? Liberty is very important. When you lock someone and have him suffer for 50 years, that's worse, that's more cruel to a human being than capital punishment. We believe in an afterlife. If this person really repented, okay, the capital punishment is served. They go to the next stage, which is the hereafter, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will deal with them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might forgive them. But what's the point of locking someone up, especially a life sentence for life? What's the point of that? What are you achieving? Keeping a human being in a cage for the rest of his life. That's cruel. <laughs> First of all, people on death row, usually it's very high security. It's very difficult to see them. Number, assuming they could see them, honestly, who would accept that for their family member? I would, rather, I would rather have my family member die and have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take care of them than having to visit them for 40 years and see their suffering. Imagine the emotional damage this does to the family. 
If I know if I have a son, a brother, a spouse in jail, and for life I can go and see them once a month, that's, that's unnecessary emotional pain on me. But khalas, if you know, if, if they were really, if يعني, it was proven that they committed a crime and the punishment was administered, that's it, we can move on. After a few years, you can move on. So if you look at the psychological, emotional damage that results in having someone incarcerated for life, it's a lot worse than capital punishment. Let's try to be, you know, not influenced by today and what we're told in, in, in society, right? Let's really examine this from an unbiased perspective. And remember, we believe. We believe in the mercy of God. We believe in the akhirah. And the hadith says the someone who commits a crime and the punishment is administered to them, oftentimes that will release them from the punishment of the akhirah. Because the hadith says Allah will tell him on the day of judgment, I am more generous than punishing you twice. If, you know, for example, we do have sometimes um, the punishment, the had for certain crimes. A lot of times is if the person died having belief, right? They had some belief in their heart and the punishment was executed on them. Unless there's someone like Saddam or Hitler, that's a different story. But an average person, Allah on the day of judgment will tell them, khalas, I forgive you. Why? I'm not going to punish you twice. Once you were punished according to my law in the world, that's enough for you. On the day of judgment, I'll forgive you. So in fact, this is the path to relief for them. And we do believe in the, in the Akhirah. The monotheistic religions believe in it. The argument of uh, not executing someone for a lifetime, that's a good argument they have, is that many times it happens, like after 30 years of somebody that was, uh, they decided he 100% he was uh, guilty. They find out by DNA or other proofs that he, he was innocent and they release him after that. So if he had been executed from the beginning, he would have, he would have been an innocent. That's true. Sometimes that does happen after 30 years, they discover they made an error and the person's innocent. So that sometimes does happen. My response to that, this person whom you kept for 30 years and he was innocent, and then after 30 years you want him to go and, and live, what remains from his life? You've destroyed his life. That's worse than having him executed, even in error, and having him go to Akhirah to Allah subhanahu wa I wouldn't accept that for myself, would you? Imagine you are com convicted of something, you spent three decades of your life in jail, and then after three decades, oh sorry, you know, this was a mistake. What's the point now? Who's going to give you back those 30 years? And those 30 years were wasted for nothing. What's the point of those 30s? Now, can you go back to society and be a functional human being? You lost 30 years of your life. How are you going to function properly? How are you going to have a proper family life, a proper business life, a proper social life? They can never give you back that status that you had before after 10 years, 20, 30 years. So even if you do have that valid concern, but the way to keep them waiting for life is not the solution. We have to weigh both options and see which is less damaging. Which one is less damaging? So tell me how you feel about this. What do you think about this? What if somebody says that during their time in prison they were 
See, if you're given a temporary moment to go and repent in isolation, it works, but not for life. You become crazy if you, if you get locked up for life. And, in, and, and, and if, if you're in solitary confinement, well, we know how bad that is. If you're with a group of other people, they're surrounding you with criminals, yani criminal minds. You think that's really going to be helpful to you? You're going to learn from other criminals how to repent? Who's going to teach you how to repent? <laughs> yes, maybe sometimes there are some chaplains here and there who come and go, but really who's going to teach you how to repent? It's, it's an ill environment. It's, an, it's a bad environment. An environment like that, you know, doesn't really help a person to, especially a, a person of high level crime. We're talking about murder. You know, we're not talking about these other issues. We're talking about murder, capital punishment, right? Because capital punishment in Islam is very limited to a, a number of crimes. So th there's no point in that. You know, suspending a lifetime in jail is not a solution to anything. It's just torturing the human. Isn't that the yes. A lot of the data shows that a lot of people are converting to Islam from inmates. Yes, there are people in the prison who you find them converting. That's true. We see them all the time. That's happening. But first of all, we have to see and perform a study to see who are they. Are they high-level criminals? Are they people who got in jail for petty things, petty theft? For petty things, right? We have to conduct a study and see who are the ones who are mostly converting? Because that's an important indicator. Secondly, even those who have changed in jail, I don't want to judge anyone, but based on experience with some of them, when they go back out, they're not stable. They really aren't stable because the traumatizing experience they had in jail and in the prison system really they might have found that hope in the religion of Islam, but they cannot function properly. I've met some of them. They might have the good intention, but in the end, after a while, I see them and monitor what they're doing in society. They cannot, they cannot function properly. That experience was very damaging to them. So it's really hard to tell whether that was beneficial for a lot of them or not. And I'm talking about high level criminals, right? Like murder, homicide and murder. Those people, I yet have to see really successful examples of someone who spent 10, 20, 30 years and then they went back and they were pretty functional and just a normal citizen. It's, it's very rare. These, ex, these examples are extremely rare. They are exceptions. Yeah, these are exceptions. I'm not saying there isn't, but look at the system, the overall system. Most of them are not like that. In Islam, it's swift. Immediate, as long as the the guilt is proven, there's evidence, immediately the, the judge will issue the death sentence, yes, without further delay. Until we have an Islamic legal system, I don't think a capital punishment could ever be properly executed. So no, see, we're talking about this under the guidance of a ma'soom prophet, oh, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. yes. We're talking about oh, that okay. under the guidance of a scholar. Yes, no, no, we're assuming you have a just society, a justice that you can depend on. See, this is another problem when it comes to Islamic punishments, right? Oftentimes you find corrupt governments like Saudi Arabia. They are 
squandering the wealth of the nation. Every person from that royal family is a thief, you know, stealing millions of dollars from the people. And then if some guy, he comes and he steals a loaf of bread or something else, they cut his hand. That's not justice. Allah doesn't want these to be implemented in this way. Many, many of our legal scholars have stated that these, punishment which, these punishments which Islam prescribes are to be administered by a just ruler in a just system. Then it makes sense. But if you have a corrupt system and you have these punishments and it's at the discretion of the rulers when they want to implement it, when they don't, then you have chaos. You have a country like Saudi Arabia and the Taliban in Afghanistan. Of course that doesn't work. In an Islamic society, the society is so healthy, the person has to have a disease in their heart to be a criminal. Then yes, it makes sense to punish them that way and to act as a deterrent. For example, one of the controversies that we have is that the person who commits adultery is stoned to death, right? It's not mentioned in the Quran, the Quran talks about whipping or lashing, but it's mentioned in hadith. Look at the healthy community of the Prophet that he established in Medina. How many times did the Prophet stone people to death or have them get stoned? Many, many scholars say none. They say we have not found evidence of a sahih hadith that this happened at the time of the Prophet. To what happened to people? They became more, it's a healthy society. See the Prophet when he gives you a healthy society, the Prophet also trains people how to avoid corruption, how to avoid sins. He helps them with that. An entire society is structured to help you with that. So if the person is going to commit adultery and have four pious people watching him in the act, what kind of a person is that? He must do it on the street. Of course you, get, you deserve to get punished like that if you're being so reckless, right? Because one of the conditions of Islamic law is to have four udul. You know what a adil is? A person who is known in society not to sin, like the leader of the prayer jama'ah. A rightful, righteous person, four of them who saw the actual act in detail with their eyes. Yani where is this going to happen? Where is this going to happen? And by the way, scholars have said that even in our time, pictures and films are not um, proof in, a, in an Islamic court. It has to be seen visibly by those people. Eyewitness, it has to be an eyewitness. That's why many scholars have said, if the judge knows that a person committed a crime, theft, murder, adultery, whatever it is, he knows. Let's say he saw him himself. He cannot administer the punishment unless there are those witnesses. See, that's Islamic law. It's, 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 it's based on reason and logic. So if you have an act of adultery that's happening in society, such that four just people saw it, that's, that's a big problem. That in fact is a big cancerous danger in society. That needs to be treated, obviously. So many scholars have said, in fact, we don't find evidence that in the time of the Prophet this even happened. There may be one or two claims, but let's say once. Let's say once it happened. Okay, in 10 years, and you've got all these people, and the Prophet is reforming them. Imagine, they're transitioning from ignorance, jahiliyyah to Islam. So you'd expect them to be very reckless until after a while they start behaving. Okay, let's say in 10 years once it happened. Is that something that violates human rights? 
It doesn't. It's, it's based on logic and reason. Because by doing so, the Prophet was giving them a healthy society. So yes, that's a very valid point that these laws are administered under the guidance of a just ruler. Either an infallible ruler like a Prophet or the Imam, or one who represents them in justice. Then it makes sense to have these punishments. Otherwise, of course it doesn't. Even, you know, cutting the hands of the thief. Yes, it's mentioned in the Quran, but there's so many conditions. It has to be a just society in which the overall system is healthy. There isn't deception, fraud, and theft. That's on a widespread level. The one who's stealing, why did they steal? They're asked in Islamic court. If the person was hungry and that's why they stole, they don't get punished. Yes, the, the judge will tell the person, whenever you're able, you have to go compensate that person by paying them. Salaamu Alaikum. By paying, by compensating them for what you stole. But you don't administer the punishment in that case. And there are so many other conditions. So once we take that into consideration, then we understand some of this. But yes, in that constitution of Medina, we find the Prophet ﷺ did actually stipulate capital punishment. Yes. I want to ask, does rape fall under the category of capital punishment? Does what? Rape. Rape, yes, of course. Rape does fall under the category of capital punishment. In Islamic law, if that's proven by evidence, then yes, the rapist, um, deserves to be executed. Of course there are ways, sometimes um, in some of these laws, there's many details, we study them in, in legal theory or in Islamic law, sometimes the family could pardon you know, the offender and they could compensate through blood money, sometimes it, they cannot because you have the public right and you have the individual right, so it's intricate but yes, according to Islamic law, a rapist deserves capital punishment, definitely. Please, I know there's one, I know for sure there was one incident of a woman coming to the Prophet and she had committed adultery that she admitted and he discouraged her because she was pregnant and she was sent back for two, after two years she came back and she never left him alone, she kept coming, finally it was administered. That's, that's the one incident that I referred right, to that some, yes, know. that cited, basically what happened is a couple came, uh, in fact, uh, the one that I saw is the, a couple came, an old couple. They came openly in front of the Prophet They told him, Ya Rasulullah, punish us. We committed adultery. The Prophet tried, the, tried to talk them out of it. Look at the source. He told them, maybe you mean you just touched her. The Prophet is telling him, don't say that because then if you openly, publicly are saying that, there are consequences. I can't smile in your face when you're coming here in the street and say, hey, I committed adultery, because that's going to open many doors to other people. The Prophet said, maybe you just touched her. He said, no, 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 I committed adultery. The Prophet said, maybe you just kissed her. And he kept insisting on his path. Then when he kept insisting, you know, the conversation is technical, so <laughs> you can refer to the original source, but he, he kept insisting. So according to that source, which not all scholars have accepted, some have, some have rejected, they don't find evidence that it really happened, maybe the, uh, the, the uh, chain of the hadith is weak. So basically, after a numerous attempts for the Prophet to try to dissuade him from 
you know, uh, doing iqrar, admitting, he kept confessing and confessing until the Prophet had no choice but to say, okay, now you're convicted. So that's really the only instance that is discussed. 